0: This year, I am, uh, throughout, especially through the first of the year, uh, a- after January, we're going to start a series on the seven things Jesus said from the cross. And then after that, we're going to talk about resurrection and all the things he did after his resurrection. We're going to get very familiar this year with cross and how the cross should form us into something different and how the what the resurrection means for us who are hoping for something different. That spectacular. But before we do that, we're going to have to look at our world view. Um, some things, uh, maybe some gods we worship before we start worshiping the one true God. The, the, we do worship other gods. We don't name them like they used to name them, but we do tend to worship different gods. And it is the call, at least the first of the year here, that we focus on worshiping only one God, and worshiping the one true God. And we'll talk about Him at the end of January, and throughout each all these different sermons, we'll get back to the one true God. But in January, we, we need to take a look at some of the things we worship. We might not know we worship them. The reason we don't know we worship them is because they are ingrained within our worldview. The way we see the world. Uh, Trying to change your actions without changing your worldview is like cleaning your house with dirty glasses. It's a bad idea. You're not quite sure what's dirty and what's not. And uh, our worldview lends us to believe that certain things are important when those things really aren't all that important. At least, as we can tell, we're not important to Jesus. So we are going to begin... This uh, this year, talking about the worldview that we often love and worship. Your language, the words you use, are extremely important. I think one of the one of the things that we push in our house, one of the things we ask our children, is to not say that they are starving. That's a bad word in our house. You are not starving. There are children who are starving and you are not one of them. Um, you can't say you're starving in hopes for a fruit snack, right? Um, so, you, we don't say starving, and they have, man, they have caught and run with that rule so much so that they know when Rachel and I say starving that it's a bad thing and they correct us. Um, there are some things that early on uh, I thought might help in their language, and when uh, I, one of the my the best things I've done as a parent, I haven't done a whole lot of great things, but I taught them the difference between scared and startled. And now, when something jumps out and causes them a fright, they don't panic, they don't scare, they don't cry, they just say, "Whoa, that startled me. They're just like a 70-year-old woman, who well, you know. <laughs> I will not apologize for that statement. I used to love to scare my grandmother, that's all. My dad would say, Benjamin, you're going to kill her. And was, Be a great story, right? Um, she'd say, Benjamin, you startled me. Now there's times when they're really scared. Is times when they're really scared. And times when they're really startled. There's times when there's two different things going on in their body. And it's nice for them to know the names for what's going on. Now, our language sometimes doesn't lend itself to such distinctions. It's like when we talk about love. You're going to have to progress that for me or change it. Yeah, when we talk about love, there's two different types of love, two different gods of love, and I want to talk about Aphrodite. Now, those of you who, are, who know your history, you'll notice that I will mix Greek and Roman gods in this, and I don't care. They fit on the slide. Um, But the goddess of love, the way we talk about love, um, often the way we talk about love is an Aphrodite sort of love. The love we worship is the love of Aphrodite. Uh, The Greeks had four words for love. We have one word for love. That's why I love my wife, and I love Mexican food, and I love my dog. And I love. There, there's all sorts of loves, but we have to we have to reason out by the context what sort of love, where on the scale that love is going to hit. So we just say love and expect everyone else to figure it out. That's why when my soon-to-be 13-year-old daughter, I know she's five now, but soon she will be 13 comes to me and says, but Dad, I love him. And I'll say, well, he's going to die soon. <laughs> so you're going to have to work through that. Actually, what, what our inclination is to say is, well, you just don't know what love is. Go sing Jesus Loves Me at Bible class. Now they do know what love is. They just don't know what it fully is, and the reason they they have a hard time knowing what love fully is is because we don't know what love fully is. Love kind of confuses us because we love all sorts of things. Now the Greeks were not as confused about love because they had different distinctions for just four four completely different words. They weren't words that sounded like each other, but all four of the words often get translated love into our Bibles. Verse one is I don't think appears in the Bible. It's storge. Storge is the Greek word for love whenever you're talking about your family. So, maybe extended family, sometimes it's like, okay, I storge them. Because I've got to. i got to love them. you got to love them. That's just Aunt June being Aunt June. So i got to storge them. Storge is your extended family. Uh, and you' just it 's just the the group that you 're around that you 're from you have you love them in this way. Philia is for friends it 's a friend sort of love it 's this love between people that 's this connected love where we we enjoy the same sorts of things um, we enjoy. ...watching the same sorts of movies, I don't think that was the Greek meaning... ...but it was, we enjoy different, the same things, and so we have common interests... ...and so therefore, we love each other. We are brotherly love for each other. It's not love for your brother, your actual brother, it's love for someone who is like a brother. This is why Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Adelphos is the Greek word for city... Philia is the Greek word for love, Philadelphia. Um, so you've got this, uh, this, this love, which is a good love. It's not, it's not a bad love. There's not, it's not intrinsically bad. But when only pursued, it can be negative. The Greek word here is eros. You all can guess what this one is, right? Uh, it's where we get our word erotic. Now can you guess? Uh, it is it is base, It is only a physical based lizard brain attractive. I just said lizard brain. Some of you don't know what that means. Just forget I said it. Uh, it it's just your base nature attractiveness, and this is necessary too. When I saw Rachel in college. Again, we had knew we 'd known each other at church camp, but when I saw it at college, and there was a part of me that didn 't even think words, I just thought, "Hey <laughs> that 's this instinct of us this is this physical thing where I am physically attracted to my wife, and that is a good thing the problem is is that storge and philia and eros those loves are loves that satisfy us those are satisfaction loves that i have a friend who enjoys the same things as me and we can talk about the same things and we enjoy you know whatever it is playing guitar we all we we both like uh, Andrew and I like going and playing basketball and getting sore. And that's that's one of our pastimes. And um, we'd play with John, but he doesn't get as sore as we do. And so there's this, like, you have commonality, and that's good, but it satisfies you. And while that's needed, if you only search out and seek out love that is satisfactory to you then it's still this selfish world view in which love is a thing that people give me. It's a thing that fills up in me. The fourth Greek word is one I'm sure you're familiar with if you've gone to church for a long time. It's the word agape. I know that spelled that spells agape, but they pronounced it agape. Agape is best des- described as self. Sacrificial covenant love. Agape is not a satisfactory love. It is not a love that seeks to satisfy self. Agape is a love that sacrifices self. And you drive down the highway. as We we were driving down. uh, We went up to Bibi yesterday to pick up a headboard, you know, like you do. And... We were on our way home, and I was just so tired of billboards. Just billboard, billboard, billboard. Here, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. Like, if, if there was no billboards, we would drive down the road and go, what should I buy? But all of them, I mean, there were some that, that talked about tires. And you get this a lot down in, uh, like, around Houston. There's an ad campaign, ad agency, I believe, in Houston that believes um, whatever you're selling, just put a pretty woman on it. Put a pretty woman that's barely clothed and people will buy it. Hey, tires, yeah, you know, and there they are. And you, you you, you drink this soda and you'll look like this or you buy this magazine and they can tell you the 50 different ways to look like this. They should just say, Photoshop, 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 Photoshop. Because that's the only way to get to look like someone on a magazine cover is if you know how to work Photoshop very well. If you don't understand anything I just said, then that's fine. The sermon will do fine for you without it. But there is a... Uh, there is a desire in this country to look a certain way, and it's all based on eros or philia. My friends look better than me, or they have a different shape, and I want that shape. Or they have they have abs, and I don't. I haven't never seen abs or proof of the existence of abs, and I, this this nonsense that lives in us. It's only built to sa- satisfy self is a God we worship, and her name is Aphrodite. When we seek out and worship this self-satisfactory love, the internet, I don't know if you've heard of it, it's this thing um, that is uh, all the information in the world. All the information in the world. Anytime I want to know about something, I just tell Rachel, Could you read, while we're driving, I'll say, Could you research that and read it to me? It's like downloading information into my brain. Just this massive, uh, you-, you can read just about any book on the internet. Any book ever written, you can find it. It's been scanned and you can search it. It's unbelievable. And we're just doing Facebook. Which is fine. But what is Facebook? If I have to tell you. I'm not going to explain it. Go look it up. Or don't. You'll be better off for it. But it's basically this place where you get on and everyone has... You connect with people. And you can find people that you haven't... I haven't ran, I haven't connected with them in 15 years. Let's... We, And you send them a friend request. Like you're in fourth grade. Will you be my friend? Yes, no. Circle one. A friend request. You request their friendship and you send it to them and they say, yes, we're friends. And now they show up on your news feed. And your news is not about what world leaders are doing. But what your person who you haven't connected with in 15 years. And, might I add... For good reason, you get to find out what they're having for breakfast and why they hate long lines at Walmart and all that. Now, I'm throwing me in there, too. So, it's just, and it's just nonsense. It's not real friendship. Facebook would be more true if you could say, you know what, I'm pushing 900 acquaintances. I'm pushing, I'm, I'm having, I have these people that I'm connected to, but barely, and we're seeking, we're dying for relationship, but we're only wanting relationship if it satisfies me. But the best sort of love is the love that sacrifices me. And that's the sort of love we find in Jesus, that's the sort of love we find from God. I'm going to be in Mark Mark 10. Now, before I start, I want you to know something. I think the Bible talks about and teaches about what, how Christians should view divorce. And I think that that is a great topic for a preacher's office. But to throw a blanket over the subject of divorce, what happens is you throw a blanket over people who have been through stories that you know nothing about. And only the sermons on, most sermons on divorce do two things and two things only. They make the divorced people feel horrible and they make the non-divorced people feel pretty good about themselves. And I just don't think that's a great, outcome, right? Can we agree on that? I will not throw a blanket over divorced people and claim it's scripture. If you want to hear my, if, I, if you want to come to me and get my opinion about something, I, my question is not going to be open your Bible. My question is going to be tell me your story. Tell me your story. Now, but I will throw a blanket over this. If our marriages any marriage, if our marriages do not demonstrate, if both parties do not demonstrate self-sacrificial covenant love, that marriage has failed whether they have divorced or not. For us to define... I heard once I heard a guy in a decent, okay marriage say in one just one statement. He said something that made me think that his marriage was really struggling. And he said, but we ain't getting divorced. I was like, all right, you're succeeding, homie. So what? Our goal as marriages, if you are married, your goal right now should be to have a loving, self-sacrificial marriage in which you are only committed to your spouse within the context of that marriage. You are self-sacrificing for them. If you are sitting in the audience today and you are divorced, if God can cover my sins with His grace, He can cover all of yours. So Mark 10. Jesus... Then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? That sounds like a test we would give today in our culture of preachers. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus like a good rabbi, didn't give an answer, he gave another question. Said, what did Moses command you? They answered, they said, Mo- Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Now, that's not true. Uh, let's actually go read, let's go to Deuteronomy 24. This is where they're talk- what they're talking about. Deuteronomy 24 says, uh, if... A man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house. Now, the rest of that passage goes on to say, and if she then marries another man, and he um, and he finds something displeasing with her, and writes her a certificate of divorce and sends her away, then the first man should not marry the second man. That's uh, that too, but. The first man should not marry the wife. So, they, uh, so he, (coughs) awkward. Alright, so there's this, there is, the, the, the first man should not remarry the wife from earlier. Because God doesn't want that to happen. Now, that's the law. But in it is this assumption that men are going to give, find something displeasing in their wife. And send them away and write them a certificate of divorce. The assumption Jesus says is it's well that's he assumed that because y'all were doing that. There's laws in Scripture about um, slavery, how to treat your slave. It doesn't mean that God condones slavery. It means that God says, okay, well this is happening. So within the context, here's something that should happen further to make the situation a little better. And so the the but they didn't take that. Command the full command. They just said, "Oh well, remember in Deuteronomy twenty four one." They assumed that you would be giving her a certificate of divorce and sending her away. And they actually got into debates about what the word displeasing meant. There were two, really, two camps. There were more camps within the camps, but there were two camps. If we want to make a broad generalization, first camp was a, there was a rabbi named Hillel. Second camp was a rabbi. Named Shemai. Shemai probably lands more along Jesus's uh, side. Shemai was actually Jesus almost quoted Shemai in his answer uh, in in Matthew, not in this account. But he Shemai says uh, it's just for, uh, and the word was porneia. The 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 word was porneia. Just for uh, s- sexual misconduct. Just for that. Should he, could, he then could send the wife away, write her a certificate of divorce. Hillel thought, well, just anything, really. Just anything that made you displeased. Um, some followers of Shammai, when writing about Hillel, uh, jokingly said, Hillel believes if she burns your sandwich, actually burns your bread, then you can write her a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Hillel said, well, uh, yeah. Anything. See, the the question, as I believe the question today, has become, what's a good reason to send somebody away? When is it permissible? That's the question now, isn't it? In a lot of the debates or discussions we have on this sort of stuff, when is it permissible? And Jesus does not, quote, uh, Jesus doesn't engage in the permissibility of it in Mark. Actually, here's what Jesus says. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. He says, if this is a godly union, where two people are operating in a godly, agape, covenant love, if that's the case, then why, there would be no reason for divorce, right? We wouldn't have to talk about this. But the problem is, see, let me say a word about divorce and then we'll get back on topic. Divorce is a sin because it is the manifestation of many different sins. And anyone who's ever been through a divorce can tell you more than anyone else who's just reading about it in scripture. Anyone who's been through a divorce can tell you exactly why God hates it. Am I right? Anytime you've been through something like that, you can say, yeah, God hates that because that's not right. That, that, whatever that is, that doesn't feel like love. One of the worst decisions a church can make is when someone's going through something like that. this, the worst decision we can make is try to figure out who's at fault and who's it correct. When someone needs us to love them the most, all we're doing is trying to parse the details. And I think that is not only incorrect or bad behavior, I think that is flat sin. And it is not of God. And it's even worse when we do it in the name of the church. What Jesus points us to when asked about this topic about divorce, He points us to the loving God who created male and female, created them to be bonded, and created them in the beginning to have this perfect relationship. Now, if you go back and remember, when the fall happens, God actually says, men and and women aren't going to get along all the time now. That's part of the curse. We aren't going to get along all the time. I can read a thousand books on how women operate and think, but my base instinct is going to go against her base instinct sometimes. Another way of saying that is, I'm going to be wrong a lot. It's not going to be perfect. God said it's not going to be perfect. But there, in, 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 in Mark 10, he points to something holier than just permis- When is it permissible? He points to a healthy marriage. Christians should be seeking healthy marriages whether it's div- this this nonsense about well divorce is the sin unhealthy marriages is not what god wants and if you're living in an unhealthy marriage right now and you think my i just i don't know if i can do this get help because when you work through the difficult time if you're able to work through the difficult time with a counselor or with help, if that happens, you will be stronger on the other side of it. And if you go through counseling and one says to the other, you know what, I am not going to sacrifice myself for you anymore. That's not going to do it. Well, at least then you'll know we, ch- we, sh- we gave it a shot. And it just didn't, we just gave it a shot. Healthy marriages give God glory. God is not glorified by not divorcing. God is glorified by healthy, agape love marriages. And we have dwindled marriage down to just, well, there's a book out. We read this book before we got married. His needs, her needs. He's got needs, she's got needs. If you, if you meet his needs, then if she meets his needs, then he'll stay faithful. And if he meets her needs, then she'll stay faithful. And they're just, it's this constant back and forth of, of satisfaction. But there are going to be times when, when my needs aren't always going to be met. And if my only love is an Aphrodite love, then I'm going to find Aphrodite love elsewhere. But if my love is agape love, if my love, the God I worship is God, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who sent Jesus to sacrifice himself out of love for us. If I worship that God in my marriage and in my relationships and I sacrifice myself, then when my needs aren't being met, I will still meet hers. When I'm not being submitted to, which I will still submit to. When I'm not being sacrificed for, I will sacrifice for. And I say, this is the rhetorical I, I'm not just saying. You know, sometimes Rachel does not sacrifice for me, and I'm still going to do it because I'm a good guy. I'm just saying, in the dream world, and when things are perfect, when things are just as God wants them. Jesus said that like this. In the kingdom of heaven, there will be no, there is no divorce. Because there's, no conf- there's no more conflict. We're not constantly trying to satisfy ourselves. Willard Harley, who wrote His Needs, Her Needs, came out with a second book, admitting that he had made a mistake with the first book, so that's why I'm joining him in bashing that book. I mean, yes, women do need affection, and men do need respect, and we need things, but your marriage should not fail or succeed based on whether you're giving those things. Your relationship should not fail or succeed whether based on whether or not you are being satisfied. The goal of life is not to be satisfied. The goal of life is to sacrifice. And it's only in this sort of love, not the love that's looking for permission to to send somebody away, but the love that's looking to God and saying, God created us like this, and therefore I'm going to live like this. It's that sort of love that'll just change your world, it will change your life. Uh, he goes on. When they asked, were asked, when they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, "Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery." Now, this is interesting because there's a backstory to this, and I want you to know the backstory so it'll help you get this passage. There's a reason he didn't say this out loud. In Mark, there's a reason he didn't say this to the Pharisees. And then when they were in closed doors, he said it more fully to the disciples. Because if you remember back to Mark 6, John died. Remember? You remember how John died? Well, his head wasn't attached to his body, and I'm not a doctor, but that kills you. The reason his head got detached from his body was because there was a woman named Herodias, who was married to a man named Herod Antipas. And John had been saying that their marriage was a sham. Because it was a sham. Herod Antipas went on a trip with his brother, Philip, and Philip was married to a woman named Herodia. Yeah, same woman. Herodia was their niece. And Herod Antipas got pretty um, attached to this uh, girl, Herodia, and said they made a deal. They said, you know what, when you return, uh, you're going to divorce Philip, I'm going to divorce my wife and send her back, which her dad was a king so that was kind of, that caused some wars later on but i'm going to divorce my wife and then we're going to be married and john the baptist started saying no marriage is not about satisfying some need at the time this marriage is not okay you can't abandon one for the other and john got killed for that and here when the often in the bible when the pharisees are trying to trap jesus Notice the word in in the beginning of of chapter 10. It's not on the screen, but if you go back there, it says, some Pharisees, in verse 2, came and tested him, tempted him, tried to trick him. Why were they trying to trick him? Because if he said the wrong thing, Herod might kill him too. A woman had divorced her husband and married another man, and a man had divorced his wife and married another woman in public Political circumstances and here Jesus is commenting on that to his disciples. He's saying this situation between Herod Antipas and Herodias is not okay. Because their love was a love that was hoping just to satisfy instead of a love that sacrifices. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, here's what love is. All this love here is the word agape. Agape. Self-sacrificial love is patient. It's kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Oh, dear, what? It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight. I'll just say, anytime you say, you know, back in um, 2009, you said this, you said that I didn't do this that well, and now you're not doing that very well. So, zing, check that off my list. Um, that's not love. Keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love, this self-sacrificial love, needs hope. It needs trust. It needs to persevere because there's going to be times when you sacrifice yourself, when you make yourself vulnerable, that you are going to be wounded in relationships. And because we are tempted to just run from anything that is painful, we often will just say, "Well, I don't, I'm just going to get out of this because it's not really satisfying me." No one said love was about always about satisfaction. Who told you that? It's our culture. We worship a god, and her name is Aphrodite. He is the God of of satisfactory love. We are called to worship a God and His name is Yahweh. We see Him in Jesus. Some of you say Jehovah. That's fine. You can say that. You can mispronounce it if you want to. We see. We see this God manifests Himself in the character of Jesus of Nazareth, in the human Jesus of Nazareth. We saw Jesus, this God on earth, give himself up in love, give himself up self-sacrificially on the cross. The cross is the perfect example of agape love. And on the cross, he needed to trust. On the cross, he needed to hope. And on the cross he needed to persevere because it is when you make yourself vulnerable that you need these things the most agape love should rule our year and if that seems too daunting of a task let it rule your afternoon the way you treat your family the way you treat your friends the way you tre- you should self you should sacrifice yourself for the love of God that He claims. God says that this love, when given to your relationships, will be more than you can imagine. It will be patient, it will be kind, it will not envy, it will not boast. Don't be fooled into thinking that love, is something that's supposed to satisfy you 100% of the time. It just won't. But finding in God the strength and the courage to love others so much that you will sacrifice yourself for them, that will be all it has cracked up to be. That will be everything you have ever imagined it to be. And it will be worth the blood, the sweat, and the tears that go into it. A love that is worked for. Love that is sacrificed for. There's a love worth talking about. You know that philia is good, and eros is good, and storge is good. They're all good and holy things when seen in the proper perspectives. But agape, well, that's a love. That you just can't deny. So, when Jesus says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. He means sacrifice yourself for your neighbor as you would sacrifice yourself for yourself. He didn't say that because that wouldn't make sense. You know, the last part's kind of tough. But give up yourself for your neighbor. Give up yourself for your neighbor. Spouse, give up yourself for the people that you claim to love. Don't just claim it. Live it. Sacrifice yourself for it. I hope that 2014 helps you find love, not in some other relationship that satisfies you, but within you, with God by your side, within you as you connect with those around you, as you sacrifice for those around you, just like Jesus sacrificed for you. If you want this to be in a relationship with this God, who sent His Son to connect with you, to bear your sins on the cross, to give you hope, in the resurrection, if you want to be united with Him through baptism, into His death, burial, and resurrection, I believe it's then and only then that you can actually experience this sort of love we talk about. And it's then and only then that you can live that love out in your relationships. If you want to start that or recommit to that, this is the first Sunday of the year. It would be a great time to recommit to something, or to begin a journey. A journey that's led and kicked off by a loving God and is fulfilled by a loving church. It will just change your life. If you're up for it, please come forward while we stand and sing.